0: Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor Commentaries on Scripture. I'm going to call it Commentaries on Scripture. Uh, I have back in the studio with me my good friend, Travis Overly, and we are going to continue this discussion of the hermetic, you heard it right, the hermetic slash kabbalistic temple endowment uh, trying to get into the background of what was Joseph Smith doing. So let's get this show on the road. <laughs> We are excited to get back on to this incredibly interesting topic because uh, the more we get together and work through things, the more astonished we are at how much more there is to this than meets the eye. Right, Travis? <laughs> we have uh, we, we have just kept finding more materials than we had ever anticipated which is always a good thing so that means that we are in the process of getting more information in our head so that we can turn around and share it with you now we have a we have a subject that probably is mildly comfortable and yet there's so much that we never hear with this And so we expand. And so Travis has brought out some amazing points from my take on it on Enoch. And not only just Enoch being translated, but there's so much more to him. And and we get, yeah, we get glimpses and bits and pieces uh, in the different books of Enoch. How many do we have now, Travis? There's one and two and three that I'm aware of. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's a there's a whole corpus of literature that's associated with him directly, or or one of his you know some archetype that's you know a hermetic archetype associated with him. There's there's just really a lot there.
0: That's what makes Enoch so important, isn't it? Why don't you elaborate? Give us some uh, your idea on this this theme of the uh, Enochian archetype and why it matters too the church um well the
1: where, where we where we started with was the the uh the hermetic archetype and enoch and that enoch acts as a a great intercessor between the heavens and the earth a great mediator uh bringing down the light of the heavens on the earth for creation, as well as knowledge, um, arts, um, all all these kinds of things. And in that sense, he serves as a type for a creator. And in the Latter-day Saint tradition, there is a a context for looking up at Enoch or the, the figure of Enoch, the type of Enoch. Um, as a as a type for a creator, or at least a a joint creator, with with the uh, father and son, um, we in this process of, of creation and in this process of mediation, um, the what we're going to look at a little bit today is what's called the cosmic covenant, yeah. and. The cosmic covenant, I I think it really has a uh, a really really close relationship with the, the Jewish concept of tikkun olam, which is oh. <clears throat> similar to a restoring creation or raising creation, perfecting creation, um, that that kind of thing, and so. Uh, you know the two questions that we might we might go about answering today would be uh, number one, what is the cosmic covenant, and number two, uh, you know, is there or what is the LDS context for the cosmic covenant?
0: Now, if I could if I could add something about Enoch here that is is quite interesting to me when I when I was reading the Hugh Nibley series and then I broke off and began to read the actual books of Enoch myself, and I got James H. Charlesworth and Odeberg and all those guys, although he goes to third Enoch, which is way later, Uh, that's like 400 AD. The Enoch texts we're talking about are probably the first uh, couple of centuries BC, which kind of dates with Daniel. It's in the Pseudepigrapha, the, the big rise of apocalyptic in Second Temple Judaism. In some of those texts, Enoch's ascension grants him a place on the throne, and the rabbis got quite upset with this. They said, no, 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 wait. I mean, this becomes the two powers in heaven controversy in Judaism, but Enoch is actually called the little Yahweh. He is deified. And in in one of the stories, I can't remember which rabbi, it's been a while since I have read this, but they actually have a an issue with this. So they say that Metatron was called forward when Enoch was transformed. And it describes his incredible bodily transformation. His eyes became fire and his spirits became, his uh, blood and bones became like, liquid uh, spirit. I mean, it was just, it was sensational description. And after he became exalted and he was invited to sit on the throne, one of the rabbinical ideas of this is Metatron was told to go whip Enoch. If, If I remember right, it was whip Enoch so that it dropped him down a little bit more <laughs> because he was so highly exalted. This ties in, don't you think, with your principle of this this Enoch archetype being, If I mean, even a co-creator. He is the little Yahweh. He was actually identified with Metatron too. And the etymology of Metatron has been said in some etymologies, the scholars are still wrangling about this, nothing solved yet, but they say the one on the throne, the meta throne. I, when I first read that, I got that out of Andre Orlov, my good friend Andre Orlov, who is a fabulous Zenith scholar. He's out of Marquette University, and uh, so so this idea that we have here a a mere human, a person, and his exaltation is described as he ascends to greater and greater glory. You know, this is, come on, this is the Isaiah 6 theophany. This is the Ezekiel theophany, the throne of Ezekiel. This is Merkava mysticism. This is the Judaic slash Kabbalistic slash Enochian slash Hermetic background that you and I are are advocating perhaps uh it would help us all if we enlarged our context here, right? The
1: um <clears throat> I I would argue that the most fundamental core doctrine of the restored church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the doctrine of divine investiture. And that Joseph established very early. Um and when we when we read his his texts, um it's something that comes through and through, and so in this Enoch archetype, um, Enoch is really a manifestation of this divine investiture, where he is given a role as creator, as a type for God Himself, as a as a you know the the as a son. We would even I would even say as a, as a firstborn son of the son. We'll the say that son of
0: man theme,
1: yeah. And so um, uh, that, that's something that, you know, Latter-day Saints sometimes take some heat for when people say, oh, you you guys maybe believe you're going to become gods or something like that. Um, I, I like how Margaret Barker tones that down and, you know, makes it into more angelic beings. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it tempers it a little bit. Uh, but... The, the idea of, of this a type of exaltation a, a type for um, receiving all that God receives receiving a place on the throne this kind of thing um, really fits into covenant um, particularly when covenant in the in the Jewish context you know really emphasizes kinship so oh yeah you know becoming an actual son or becoming an actual daughter an actual you know whether whether through the the uh, the idea of betrothal or through you know just a, a literal type of marriage that coming together, um, which also I w- I would say is a, a strong theme in this hermetic uh, hermetic representation See, that,
0: that would tie into the adoption of the king as the son of the god too, wouldn't it? So here comes kingship into this into this cosmic covenant Mm -hmm.
1: yeah kingship plays a big role um and uh this one i thought was kind of fun um king of the world kunan is has a chapter where the the king of the world is in two parts metatron Mm -hmm. and the shekinah male and female excuse me
0: nice oh yeah you're all good Male and female, yes. The uh, this theme of the male and female, while oh, he's getting his kids in the other room, is really huge. I had never put together that it was the Metatron and the Shekinah. That's a nice touch. Keep going. I ad-libbed for you.
1: <laughs> well, and that that that's a that's a, an interesting play on on two roles, the the Shekinah and the, the Metatron role as um, as as kind of two two parts coming together in the ascension role,
0: um, in the, the in essential doctrine of the hermetic materials and of Joseph Smith's endowment. What a tie-in, huh? The male and female becoming one again. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, and
1: we will, in after we go through a little bit, uh, to talk about the cosmic covenant, um, we will look into a, a, Latter-day Saint context for it. Yeah. Um, there, there's a pretty good one, I think.
0: There is. There's a good one. You want to start talking about the Cosmic Covenant or do you want me to? We both got articles by Margaret Barker and Father Murray. And didn't you have a Jewish scholar? What was her name? Um, her, her name is,
1: is Rachel Elior. Um, yes,
0: I, yes, yes. Elior.
1: It, it be pronounced uh, Rachel Elior, but I don't Rachel know. Elior. But, um, She's a, an incredible scholar, and uh, she she picked she wrote a book called um, the Three Temples. Oh, I gotta get that one. And within that book, on the, in the fourth chapter is a chapter called Enoch, son of Jared, and the solar calendar. And what what she does is she explains how Enoch and the, the solar calendar um uh, represented a a viewpoint. That um, that linked all of creation, the sevenfold seven day creation, to a um, how do I how do I say this, backyard professor to to the the eternal everlasting covenant, the great oath, the, the
0: um, oh oh well, hey hey yeah yeah that'll yeah. work because that's how Margaret Barker words it so that'll work
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, and I think those are all interchangeable. When we read the Everlasting Covenant of Peace, the Everlasting Covenant, the Eternal Covenant, the Great Oath, and the Cosmic Covenant, all those, we're talking about the same thing. And um, maybe
0: like a multifaceted glass ball in the discos that reflected all the light <laughs> as they spun. It was one ball, but lots of beams of light. So, and, and we're all familiar with this idea of, of covenant. But this cosmic covenant seems to me to add uh, another dimension. And what is that dimension? I'm not sure what you're asking. Okay, well, let me, let me get into Barker real quick. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Okay, now this is, her, this is her article, The Book of Enoch and the Cosmic Sun, or The co- Cosmic Sin, I'm thinking of David Feidler, Jesus Christ, Son of God, SUN, and that's got some good stuff in early the Christian stuff. This is out of the Ecologist for January 2000. The theme with this is the unity with nature, and that's the foundation of our existence on the planet. That's what I was. I, that's what I was getting to as I was saying. You know, in the church, we're used to this theme of covenant. You know, stay on the covenant path, follow the covenant path, the baptism, repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. But it, it doesn't seem to advance much beyond that. Um, am I am I misunderstanding that? Does it seem like it goes a whole lot further than that? Every time we talk about covenant, that is until you get to the temple, and then you make what we call temple covenants. But even that's not the cosmic covenant, is it? No, I mean, in a way, I would say that all of the
1: all of the temple co- covenants cumulate together are, in effect, a you know a, a type for the cosmic covenant. But in itself, there there's a there's a big component that's missing. Um, the metaphor that we use in in the church to talk about covenant is also problematic, because here we we hear things like we take, co- we make covenants, we follow covenants, we keep covenants. We, all, I mean, we've commodified covenant into this tangible thing that we but at the same time, we sometimes don't really get at what it's talking about. Um, the analogy that I would prescribe for this would be covenant, or excuse me, um, obedience is to commandment as responsibility is to covenant.
0: Okay. okay. So obedience is to commandments as responsibility is to covenant.
1: Yeah. I I would suggest that you can't obey a covenant. You either are, you are, it's covenant is a, is the right metaphor is proximity, closeness to the King or distance from the King. Um, a proximity of living within the covenant or outside of the covenant. Um, is, is the is the uh, the expression of the the distance of the stars the moon and the Sun you know th- those kinds of relationships of proximity I think express what covenant really means a lot more than this this idea of obedience
0: yeah so I like that I I have never heard it put that way
1: before that's that's cool that's nice and, it, and in, in addition to that you, you know we recall in the New Testament that the most obedient of of all the people in the in the time of Jesus were the Pharisees. I mean they were obedient as could be. But as Jesus always pointed out, you know, look at the orphans and the widows. You know, you're not taking responsibility for the people. How can you be a how can you you claim this authority from God and you've left part of his creation in, you know, poverty or it's something like
0: smaller, that. Yeah.
1: So so in that sense we see an expression where Jesus immediately shows that, that obedience is is not really a, tied to covenant. Covenant is tied to something else, and that's why I would say responsibility. When we talk about a marriage covenant, you know, we're not, are we talking about an obedience relationship, or are we talking about a relationship of responsibility to one another? Um, Good so analogy. The 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 metaphor that is used in, in Latter Day Saint you know theology, I, I would say that you know for covenant is. Um, Is very limiting and so limiting that, you know, we, we, uh, as we'll see a little bit later, we we miss, you know, some of the the greater parts of, of, uh, you know, the expression of what it really is, what what it entails.
0: And I think part of this, too, uh, in Barker's article, The Book of Enoch and Cosmic Sin, she says, one Enoch refers, uh, we read of a great oath which binds the forces of the creation. So this binding on earth as it is in heaven thing is in the Enoch texts and it is a cosmological aspect to it. We bind each other to each other through covenants in marriage and stuff like that. There's also a vertical binding, apparently. And she says in 1 Enoch 41, the heavenly bodies, all of them, are kept on their course in accordance with the oath which binds them. So the oath could be gravity. We could be seeing the effects of the oath, even though we don't know what gravity is yet. (laughs) The point is, The whole universe is truly bound together by that oath of gravity, to kind of put a science metaphor onto this. But the powerful oath, they say, is entrusted to the archangel Michael. Now, this gets interesting because in the temple, Michael plays a big part in the endowment. So that's kind of fun. And then the all secures the order of the creation and it holds the heavens firm and it keeps the earth secure. So there's something about the sea being checked with the barrier of sand around it. The courses of the sun, the moon, the stars, like you were saying, with distance are also regular in their courses because of this binding, whatever that is, part of this Covenant of creation This cosmic covenant And what happens They function properly When mankind Takes care of not only himself Like you're pointing out the Pharisees In the New Testament But with the earth itself Does that that Sound about right?
1: Yeah and um, In in that with the binding We find that uh, In in the covenant, the binding what Rachel Elior is describing in Enoch and the solar calendar is a binding of time and space. So by creating the calendar, time is ordered and given a structure and, and where that, where that time is ordered and structured is some geographic location, some space, um, Mm -hmm. I'll even call it a microclimate that has its own, you know, nuances and its own optimums and its own laws and so um, the the other and the other aspect of covenant is that's spoken of in the scriptures is always uh, um, two parts: people and place. So for example, the new name of, of Israel is given and it refers to a people and it also refers to a place. the name Zion is given and it refers to a people, and it refers to a place. And so this idea of of a covenant between people and place is also very central in in, uh, the temple complex and in the...
0: Yeah, so it's not just people that's going to be holy. It's the place of the earth. In fact, I've got a slide that kind of helps us see something like this. This relationship, as it were, between the animals, the earth, mankind, this whole idea of abundance and beauty and being a part of the creation and in it. That is what the cosmic covenant is about. And if we break that, then we release forces of the destiny and creation. And the Hebrew word for covenant, berit, It's not to be related to the word for binding, while the German word for covenant is bund, the verb is binden, binding, so it's a binding oath. It's a binding oath of life. It's a binding oath of living and being alive and helping all life advance, flourish, etc. Does that sound about right to you? Is that how you understand it?
1: Yeah, that that, that sounds great. It's um and it's uh, implied that there's a mediator or an intercessor to bind it.
0: Oh, there you go. Very good. That's, that's why that's, you're saying Amic is the archetype.
1: Yeah, and, and this this mediator of creation. Um, and
0: uh, that's a pretty big role. We usually assign that to Jesus. Yeah, and and after all, he is Enoch is the little Yahweh. <laughs> That's fascinating.
1: And it, it seems that um, at least in that that uh, Second Temple period, there was there was a lot of ambiguity about the the character of the angel of the presence or the Metatron, the the lesser Yahweh, the the you know Enoch figure, um, that type. Um, mm. There, there were there were times I think that even all the way to to Jesus when those um, that type was used to to wonder or, or to consider whether Jesus was him. You know, was Jesus Enoch? You know, was Jesus Elijah? Was you know that that was a, a considerable question. And we'll find in maybe some of the more Gnostic sects that came afterwards that. Uh, that was one of the belief systems that was around that Jesus was the the return of the Enoch heart you know Hermetic archetype type figure. Um, in Latter Day Saint theology, however, that's not the case. Uh, it's very clear in in uh, Joseph Smith's translation of the vision of the Book of Moses that um, Enoch did have a one-on-one dialogue conversation with Jehovah himself and that that conversation constitutes the, the mediation of the covenant between um, Mother Earth and her inhabitants and, and Jehovah.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's chapter, what chapter is that? Chapter
1: 7 of, of Joseph's translation of the vision of the book of Moses.
0: Yeah, so, so that binding is still there, but Enoch's role is somewhat different.
1: Yeah, and I think it, it. What Joseph Smith did is he 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 illuminated the role in a really consistent way. Um, he in right along the lines of, of what we are reading in, in the Jewish mysticism and and um, some of the texts that that we'll be talking
0: about. So this so this idea. Yeah, actually Barker says this too. The Great Oath, the Cosmic Covenant, the Eternal Covenant are the same thing. I wanted to see see the idea it's with the water that one is baptized and then bound because of that. And the power over the sea was the proof of the divine power. So in a way, the baptismal font could be a... A metaphor, a symbol of the sea with which we are dunked in. And then this gets us to the flood of Noah. Yeah. So that in the Joseph Smith theological thinking, we're not the only ones that go through rituals. We're not the only ones that's going to be saved. That's fantastically interesting.
1: Yeah. And um, I, I think that we, what that expresses is a, a, a much more loving and forgiving uh, creation and, and world that we live in. It's a more loving God in that, in that, in that way. You know, the, the, um, well, maybe we shouldn't get too far ahead with that with, here's something that um, Robert Murray, who wrote the book cosmic covenant. Oh yeah. He, um, I, I really like the way he, he breaks it up, and he came across his idea for the cosmic covenant from um, just chaos and order. He was seeing these patterns of chaos and order, and how covenant was expressed um, as either finding order or unleashing chaos. Um, so when when we find uh, some of the the problems in the Old Testament are are tied to somebody or something defying the cosmic order or the cosmic covenant you know going against the, the, the way of creation or the order of creation. And I'm a couple, if you keep talking, there's a couple elements um, that Robert Murray brings up and I'll just list them off. Uh, the binding of cosmic elements by a covenant oath, the breach of a covenant by rebellious or divine beings. It's reestablishment by God in the eternal covenant, earthly effects of the breach of cosmic covenant, ritual preservation of cosmic and earthly order, and an ideal picture of cosmic harmony, like like humans, animals, and creation, this kind of thing. So Robert Murray, um, he's, he's, he's finding a synthesis in all of these things in the scriptures that tied to what he describes as the the cosmic covenant and, um, and it does refer to uh, you know the binding of you know cosmic elements of the creation um,
0: and, th- and this is the book I wanted to go get to my segue right into that briefly this is the cube of space the container of creation by Kevin Townley and I will show you the diagram mm-hmm The reason the cube of space is limiting is because it gives a chance for the creator to form reality, to form the cosmos out of the chaos. And he does that by binding the different directions and sides and corners of the cube of space. And when you connect all those corners you get that Jewish star David. Is that not interesting from a symbolic viewpoint, a metaphor viewpoint? The cosmic covenant is a real binding. That's what gives life. Fascinating. Okay, keep going, keep going. Don't stop now.
1: Um. Well, where should we go? The
0: Well, Father Murray says sin entails the alienation of our nature. And so in this way, the definition of sin, you know, you say, well, you're breaking the covenant or whatever. Well, you idiot, if you're going to get up on the cliff and walk off the cliff, that's a really stupid sin. And you will pay the price because the cosmic nature is not overcome because you're going to stupidly defy it. It works regardless of what you want. I think, in a and I'm being somewhat sarcastic, kind of flippant, but it holds a serious point that it relates us to the earth. We are a part. In fact, here we go. We are a part of the earth, not a part from the earth this earth produces our food for us this whether it's the grains or the meat or the fish it produces the water and here's a hint this reminds us of doctrine and covenant section 89 doesn't it
1: yeah it, we can we can go in in that direction again the the covenant when we we look at it from that 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 uh, ancient israelite context was always tied to a people and a place and i would describe this this concept as a a type it's embodiment that's what we're talking about it's a covenant for embodiment embodiment of this this mortal frame and also embodiment into this mortal
0: existence you know which is a limiting factor on chaos otherwise mm -hmm. there's no order yeah the binding that's, that's fascinating how that works, isn't it? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and and um, the you know, I don't know how, how are we gonna have a segue into this? Um, what are you background? trying to
0: get into? Which part?
1: I'll just that here's the question the question would be, is there an LDS context for a cosmic covenant? And I would argue. Yes, there is an an LDS context for the Cosmic Covenant. And not only is there a context for it, but it's tied to the same things that we're talking to uh, about. Mm -hmm. Also, the character of Enoch and also relates directly with temples. So Enoch, temples and the Cosmic Covenant are woven together inseparable. And where we'll, we'll find this in the Latter-day Saints uh, theology is first in, in the Moses 7, chapter 7, whereby Moses uh, sees a vision of Enoch. And Enoch is um, granted a great vision of creation and from the beginning to the end. And in this process, he, he sees its destruction he, he mourns about over the destruction, um, and there's this a great appeal that Enoch makes, um, similar to the appeals that we hear from some of the other patriarchs. You know, um, we ref, we hear um, Abraham asking before Sodom is destroyed. You know, will will you save the city if there's only this many righteous kind of thing? Well, this yeah, is yeah. what Enoch is doing with creation. And he's acting as this this type of mediator to to between the inhabitants of the earth, the complaint from Mother Earth of her inhabitants, to the great uh, God Jehovah, who is the Son. Uh-huh.
0: So, um, the uh, well, he was saying here too uh, in this Moses Seven. Uh, He gave the Garden of Eden and he gave man agency. And then he says, well, my name is endless and it's holiness and all that. And he says, the problem with you guys is you're trashing the earth. And so what I have to do is I have to come along and look at the stupid destruction of your making of my terrific home. In fact, I have a slide here that I will show while I'm talking about this. And I want my audience to take this question seriously. I'm not joking with it. What Enoch is saying is we need to keep track of the earth because it weeps. It actually weeps in this chapter because of the torment that it's in, because of the pollution that mankind gives the earth. So Why are we doing this to the earth? Yet part of the mediator, part of the covenant is binding up the salvation of both men and earth. And that's really important. That's part of this binding. We aren't to have dominion to destroy and ruin. (laughs) And let's face it, this is the only home we have, so we better wise up, you know. You ruined this home, and you're an idiot because it's suicide. You don't get to fly off into space, into the Andromeda galaxy to find another Earth. Not happening, not here, not now. This is where we're at. So take care of the Earth is the question... That is the cosmic covenant, isn't it? Sin is sin, not only against people, but against the earth, and that's what this Moses Seven seems to me to be saying, right? Yeah, yeah, it
1: does. Um, but it, it includes a, a real happy note too, and that is that um, that because of Enoch's plea, not only did he receive the promise that the son would be born into a fleshly body on the earth at a, at a point of time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and wow. um but also that he would come again so you know along with this covenant that which began at the very very this is like we're, we're talking about creation you know the period of creation
0: garden well, of eden
1: yeah, is is he's he's received Enoch's seen the destruction of the whole world all the way to the end, and then he's he's taking it upon himself to ask for, can't we still save it? Can't we still preserve it? Can't we do it? And that is exactly the type of 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 uh, soul that I I would suggest what the Lord wants somebody who is willing to, you know, like Abraham can we, can, I don't want to destroy these people. I have a love for creation, love for all of it. What can we do? Is there anything that we can do? And, um, so, you know, that, that, uh, unfortunately in the way that Latter-day Saints, uh, the way that we look at covenant, it's so individualistic and it's, we, it has, we've isolated covenant to be just something about the, the person and the self and, You know raising higher morality to you know our group but Mm. very little is is said about our relationship with the environment our relationship with ecology and economy um seems to be a really big theme uh, that is is present in the scriptures old and new testament but it somehow just didn't make the cut in modern latter-day saint theology
0: well, not on not only us, though, not only the latter day saints, but the uh, I just read this commentary in this fantastic book, The Earth Story in the Psalms and the Prophets, by a uh, uh, Dr. Wallace. and he says psalm sixty five is exactly that principle, is Christians and the Jews, when they became too individualistic, thinking only of themselves and they ignored their environment, then the earth itself began to fight back. The covenant, the joy, the greatness of the creation, the voice of the earth, they believed in Psalm 65. I, I spent a couple hours on it, reading it in the Hebrew this morning, that the earth was a living being and that it can live and die and be resurrected. It can be baptized. That's the symbolism of the flood, et cetera. This covenant does not exclude that. It is humankind who has broken stuff into organic living and inorganic, non-living. That is us. That is not the cosmos of the Creator. Everything is a light. Well, I mean, that's the come on, that's the eastern side of this oblate spheroid we live on. And I think they've got that more right than we here in the West, in my opinion. So but yeah, that, that's mentioned all the Hebrew scriptures.
1: That um Psalms Psalm 65 is wonderful. It it really um it it also shows the natural role of the king. In in the environment, you know, describing particularly with the water, you know, we were in in the the concept of the righteous king is one who brings uh, a good mediation, a uh, heavenly mediation, to atone for the entire creation, so that it's restored. And if it's restored, then it's blessed with dew and rain. So the the uh, the king. If, if they're in the ancient days, we, we discussed this on the last video a little bit. If the king uh, failed his duties or if the priesthood failed their duties, what they would have is drought. Yeah.
0: And and today, right now, I so promise, sincerely, really, Utah does no longer take that as a metaphor. They are in a serious drought that is fundamentally life threatening because the bottom of the Great Salt Lake is full of arsenic. And if that gets exposed, if that Great Salt Lake goes too low, not enough water, that arsenic will go airborne. And you're talking tens of millions of sick people.
1: Consider this in Utah, especially as a a case study consider that this environmental damage has been done largely in part or, or completely by Latter-day Saint priesthood. Yeah.
0: The businessmen who want to make hundreds of billions so that the prosperity gospel becomes true, when in point of fact, that's missing the boat of the cosmic covenant. The prosperity is not us. It's everything. That's where we're missing out. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, we are coming on forty-five minutes, my friend. We are having so much fun. I want to try to watch the time. Shall we continue this in a second recording in a second video?
1: Yeah, let's bring up one thing though, and that is that um, where this where this for our second video we'll we'll discuss um, a. a a lot more on the, the latter-day saint side and so what that's going to entail is um looking into where joseph really got his 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 uh temple motifs from
0: um okay i going to show is
1: that he's getting he's he's dialed in to this cosmic covenant from section 89 from section uh or excuse me section 58 59 88 and 89 um, those in particular really, really, really express these things between the relationship, uh, responsibility of people to one another and also to the land itself and in the environment. Um, and they also ha- carry strong, the strongest archetype for um, divine investiture, uh, a which would be a way that would be re- represented today and maybe a certain an ordinance, you know a. Uh, uh, in an ordinance of washing feet and anointing, um, yeah. so the the role of the king, the role of the priesthood, and the role of wisdom, mother wisdom, mother earth, are all integral in, in this in this conception of Joseph's temple, which was long before he was ever exposed to any of the Masonic stuff. So, what 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 we will what I will like to show is that. You know, Joseph, whatever he was informed by, his visions, um, that that content was more closely aligned with Jewish mysticism under the Hermetic umbrella, rather than anything Masonic at all.
0: Um, Fascinating. What a great note to end on. Yeah, let's do. Let, let's end this one. And we will pick this back up in a continuation video because we want to try to keep these relatively uh, short and yet informative so that we don't uh, overdo it and besides that gives us a chance to make about 200,000 more videos in the up and coming year so. <laughs> we're going to call it good here you guys we will be back with the second video on this a continuation technically this is the second video isn't it Travis We've already yeah. started the first we did the first one live, so yeah, yeah, okay. So we're going to continue on. Thanks for watching, everybody. Give us the like button. Don't forget to subscribe. And you guys have a good day. We're gonna get out of here, and we shall return.